Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series, Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Each week on this podcast... Uh, we will recap the week's episode of Westworld. This week we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 3, entitled The Stray. You can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. You can also email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Uh, today we're going to be discussing overall thoughts, talking about things we liked about the episode, things we didn't like about the episode, uh, and then concluding with... Uh, more rampant speculation and theorizing. <laughs> today, today we're going to talk about actually like the nature of theorizing and like whether it's actually helpful for this particular show. Uh, so uh, I, I think we'll we'll have a good conversation about that. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna go meta, just like Westworld would. That's right? right. That's right. It went pretty meta this week. Uh, so before we get into that, we got to do some follow up from last week. Uh, you can always email us at decodingwestworld at gmail dot com. This email comes in from Nick from Portland. Uh, Nick writes in, For episode two, you, you were talking about why anyone would go to Westworld as, as it is full of psychopaths wanting to have sex and murder and how the potential audience for that type of entertainment would be small. I see it differently. How many millions of Grand Theft Auto copies have been sold? What do most people do in that world, whether it is the single player or the multiplayer mode? They kill, destroy, and have sex with hookers. We don't know when Westworld takes place, but I can see somewhere in the future when the idea of a video game on a TV screen does not excite people anymore. They need something better, more real. That is why we constantly push for better graphics, better AI in the games, and now VR is taking it to the next level. A more tactile experience with androids is like the next level this would go. I'll admit I've walked down the street in GTA, Grand Theft Auto, and started firing at everyone just to see what happens. Would I if they seem more real like in Westworld? I don't know. I would think not, but if it's just like a game and all of it's fake, then who knows? Uh, So that email comes from Nick responding to uh, my comments last week about who does this park actually appeal to? Is there a wide enough audience base for a park like this to be successful? Nick points out that games like Grand Theft Auto, which are amazingly popular, show that there is an audience for uh, this kind of rampant sex and killing. Uh, and that people like this kind of escapism, uh, normal people that that aren't mentally imbalanced in any way. Uh, what do you make of that argument, John Robinson? I mean, I think there definitely is um, a huge would be a huge audience for Westworld. Um, you know, in this week's episode, we meet uh, a new guest, this woman named Marty in a vest, and she's like she uh, she seemed to me to be like some sort of in between between Logan and William in terms of she's not depraved, but she's not as morally conflicted either, right? Mm-hmm. She's just like there to have a good time. Um, and someone also mentioned to me, I forget whether it was via email or Twitter this week that in the first week's episode, we met that family who like come upon Dolores while she's painting. And I believe they're the ones who say something about crossing the river. 
Yes, because last week we had discussed uh, they should have an adult zone right. in, this, in this park. And apparently, like, crossing the river indicates that, like, that is the adult zone. Right. right. So someone suggested that there are zones marked out maybe by geographical things like rivers or, or that sort of thing. And so I don't know if the family zone's super boring and it's just you wander around and occasionally find a girl painting or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I guess the families don't go to Sweetwater, which is encouraging. It really did seem like the tr- all – Every train stopped there, but maybe there are different trains based on uh, maturity rating, like like video games. What do you think? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, well, speaking of trains, I wanted to piggyback off that thought. Uh, you know, a lot of people emailed in. Uh, we were talking last week about how it felt as though uh, the entrance to the park was physically impossible. Like the the you know the guy goes down this long hallway and then. Uh, enters the train and the train appears to already be in motion. But several people brought up that hey, maybe it's the long hallway is some kind of massive elevator system because you see the light kind of go up, you know. And so maybe uh, the elevator system just like kind of connects with the train uh, in the caboose, and then when everyone's on the train, then the train starts moving. So like, there's a physical way that it still makes sense for it to exist in in, in like a an actual way in the park. Uh, and so a lot of people pointed that out and just wanted to say I acknowledge that that's uh, definitely a possibility. Do you have any thoughts on that, Joanna? Yeah, I mean, I, I understand all the various permutations that people sent to us, and I understand <laughs> how they could work. And I still think there's something a little bit dicey about the way that that's set up. But Very possibly. But very, possibly. very minor. Very yes. minor. Yes. Um, but uh, to answer your earlier question about you, you know uh, whether things would be in zones and whether that would be popular, I think uh, – Something that Nick's email brought up for me is sometimes people just go into these worlds, like in Grand Theft Auto, sometimes you just go into it and you shoot someone in the head or you run someone over with a car in the game just to see what will happen. Like that there's just some kind of innate human curiosity that's not depravity. It's just you want to understand how they constructed this thing. Like you just want to explore the confines. You want to test the limits of what these designers have built for you. And I could see that being a, a driving force as well. That I, I, It hadn't occurred to me last week, but it's very obvious now in retrospect. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I've come, come around on the idea that, like, okay, there's definitely more to this than just uh, raping and pillaging, even though those might be <laughs> the most popular things. Right. Um, it, it might be what the park is known for, you know. Uh, I'm reminded of the fact that, like, it came out today that Twitter tried to sell to Salesforce, but they couldn't because there's too many online trolls and hatred. And, like, Twitter has become known for all the harassment and stuff, even though, you know, that's not what a lot of people use it for. But maybe, like, you get known as the worst element of yourself. Or to put it a different way, when you're suffering, that's when you show who you really are. Uh, anyway. <laughs> nice little reference there. But uh, mm-hmm. moving on, uh, we got a follow-up from last week. Uh, in terms of a theory that you advocated, John Robinson. Uh, I did not advocate. Okay, I... no, no, no. You're right. You explained this yes. theory. Um, and I guess I'm feeling betrayed because it totally blew my mind. Uh, <laughs> but this I idea. I tried to caution people that I didn't think it would actually work out without completely spoiling that I didn't think it would work out. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. It's a, it's a tightrope. That I walk. So. Yeah, you're, you're walking it all right. Uh, so Jimmy Simpson's character, William, you know, I was, 
uh, when we started this podcast, I, I tried. I, I told you, Joanna, we we should try to use the characters' names yeah, um, to try and like lessen the confusion. But it's actually really hard to use the characters' names because the characters don't use their names very often. I don't think, right? Like, uh, I, I wonder if people know Jimmy Simpson as Jimmy Simpson or as William more. But in any case, we had speculated last week that maybe William, uh, his story is taking place. 30 years ago and that we're actually seeing these stories uh, in parallel but that they're taking place in different times and that maybe William uh, played by Jimmy Simpson becomes the man in black played by Ed Harris Um, this week's episode threw a lot of water a lot of cold water on that theory we'll talk about that later on but I just want to acknowledge up front that that's something we'll be getting into so Uh, so yeah Uh, Joanna I think you have a piece of follow up as well right yes thank you all for your lovely tweets and emails in this uh (laughs) In this one subject, um, I will never mispronounce Tandy Newton ever, ever again. (laughs) Tandy Newton. Got Uh, it. Thanks, guys. uh, Okay. I don't know how I feel about that because isn't she British? Like, don't you need a British accent on that for it to really be accurate? Um. I won't. I won't make you do it, Jana. Thank but. you, thank you. I think the issue, the issue is I, for, you know, it's spelled T H A N D I E. For some reason, I got into my head that it was some weird hybrid of a T sound and a th sound. So I was trying to hit a middle ground. Mm. A lot of people educated me. That you got to pick a side. Got to pick a side, Joanna. Do not even consider that H a thing. So Tandy, like the Thames, it is. There you go. You can keep pronunciation corrections coming into decodingwestworld at gmail.com. <laughs> Or, or at tweet Jim them Rose. directly at Joanna <laughs> and not at me. Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for tuning in, everyone, and, and listening and following up with things. Really appreciate it. Uh, we are on iTunes now, uh, and a lot of people have asked when we are going to be on Stitcher. Yeah. Uh, so I'm working on that. Uh, hopefully, we'll get that up in the near future. Uh, we are also on Google Play. So if you use Android phones, uh, you can subscribe to us there as well. Uh, and I would just encourage you, if you listen to the show and enjoy us, please do leave us a review. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there are, I think, approximately 500,000 Westworld podcasts out there. So any uh, reviews <laughs> you can leave us uh, will help distinguish us from the masses of Westworld podcasts. Uh, and so we'd really appreciate it if you just give us a rating or leave, leave us a review, assuming you like the episode. So let's get into this episode, season one, uh, episode three, The Stray. Uh, and should we should we say this one? This episode is directed by Neil Marshall. Yeah, yeah. So that's what he's doing when he's not directing Game of Thrones episodes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, overall thoughts on this episode, Joanna? What do you think? <laughs> I feel like I can tell by your tone of voice that it's not your favorite. No, I um, I, I have liked every single episode this season. I, I I am baffled by people who don't like this show. That's how that's how into this show I am right now. So I liked it. What do you that's- think? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I like, I think the show of the first four episodes I've seen, I think it gets better with every episode. So I think we're building towards what I think is the strongest episode uh, next week. Uh, I thought this one was, yeah, very good. It, it is interesting, given all the characters they have, um, that you wind up missing certain, or I wind up missing certain characters. So I, Tandy Newton's character, uh, Maeve, gets hardly anything in this episode. Yeah. And I, I was so hooked into what she was doing last week that, that I was sad not to see much of her. So I am very curious if they're going to find a way to kill James Morrison's character, Teddy, every single episode this season. Because I think, <laughs> I believe that's happened to almost every episode. Uh, maybe not episode 
two? No, it no, did. It happened episode two. Yeah, yeah he got yeah, shot yeah, by yeah. that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he's died every single episode. So I wonder if it's that's yeah, going to continue. He's their Kenny. Yeah. From <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was a big fan. I think what I was surprised by in this episode is how quickly things appear to be malfunctioning at the park. Like, I thought they would draw this out for a good six to seven episodes before things really started falling apart. But it feels like the park is starting to already be in crisis. Right. Uh, and so I'm astonished at the speed with which it's happening. Um, but, uh, yeah, dig in a lot of what, what's going on in the show. It continues to be amazing to look at. The visual effects continue to be awesome, like uh, particularly you know all the diagnostic stuff with the ro- uh, with the uh, hosts. It's all great. My biggest concern, <laughs> yes. that we'll get into a little later more, is they're introducing so many mysteries, like every episode, that I am very worried that they'll be unable to. Uh, I know, unable to answer all the questions to people's satisfaction. So this is my this is my Nolan my Nolan concern, man. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, favorite things about the episode, Jenna Robinson. Any what? Name one thing that you really liked. Okay, well, I know we were just complaining about too many mysteries, but um, <laughs> I I really loved the scene with um, Anthony Hopkins as as Doctor Ford and Jeffrey Wright as Bernard talking about the foundation of the park. We got this great, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, esque <laughs> young man, young Anthony Hopkins CGI. Uh, and introduced to this mysterious co-partner, Arnold, and some more conversation about consciousness and self-aware um, AI and all that sort of thing. I thought that was really intriguing. Yeah, so, yeah. Very, I like that scene. Very cool stuff. Do you like the digitally de-aging actors? Like, did you buy that that was young Anthony Hopkins? I think it works. I, I would say the three times it's ever worked are Michael Douglas Robert Downey Jr. Well, Robert Downey Jr. is a little dicey, and Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, I thought it was good. I did. Uh, I don't I, know. For, I, for me, it always falls into the uncanny valley. Like, but we've all seen we've all seen young Anthony Hopkins, right? In like Lion in Winter or whatever. Right, like, apparently, they use that as reference for that scene. Right? Yeah. Did they use that movie specifically, or just, uh, no, I don't know? I mean, just uh, like his younger yeah. movie. Sorry, not yeah, that movie yeah. specifically. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I, I never. Think you it never like right. it. I mean, okay. you know, if you want, so you referred to Robert Downey Jr. I think you were talking about Captain America: Civil War, in which a young holographic Robert Downey Jr. appears in the film, and uh, if you compare that to young Robert Downey Jr., it just doesn't look quite right. Like if you watch one of his early movies, it just doesn't look quite right. And I feel the same. Well, about that it. worked. That worked because it was a like a project. It was like a demo, a projection, a therapeutic projection, right? In Captain America: Civil War. Well, I'm, and- tell- I'm telling you, it didn't work. That's what I'm saying. For me, it didn't work. <laughs> you know, okay. uh, it just seems not quite right. But that, you know, that's me. If it worked for you, then you know, go with God. Good, good stuff. Um, but for me, it just falls into the uncanny valley a little bit. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, things. I liked about this episode. I mean, I continue to think that the like I'll tell you one moment that I just like. You know, I watched this movie scrunched up. Uh, you know, in uh, in a like I was I was just in Chicago. I just flew in from Chicago. Uh, we were staying in a guest bedroom, uh, and I was scrunched up in a corner watching this on an iPad. So I didn't <laughs> have my usual experience watching this. But there was a moment in this episode I just wanted to stand up and applaud. And how brilliant it was, was the moment when uh, Evan Rachel Wood's character, Dolores, 
He's talking with Teddy, played by James Marsden, and she's saying, "Hey, let's get let's get out of here. Let's let's blow this one horse town. Let's get out of here. You know, let's let's not leave someday." And then Teddy says something along the lines of, "I can't go yet. You know, I still have unfinished business." And I just like that is it, it is like you know when you watch a show, you want the people in the show like competence porn. I really like it where basically like the people. In the show you're watching, like, would do a better job than you would, right? Like, they, they would do better at that than you would would do or would even think to do. And the idea that this program uh, can self-correct, like, even if someone throws a curveball at it, like, hey, let's leave town, which is not something, you know, Teddy expects to happen. Right. Um, but that it has, like, you know, multiple fail-safes for not leaving town, uh, including some, you know, vague backstory. Uh, <laughs> that is explicitly vague. Uh, I just thought it was genius. I, it's just like, wow. Like, not only is there like this kind of order in the park that has been, that you feel like, you know, the quote unquote creator's hand at work here, but just like, obviously on a meta level, the showrunners had to conceive of that. And so I was just very impressed by just te- that moment that Teddy had with Dolores um, and talking about, you know, why he couldn't leave. Uh, I, I, like, for some reason, it really impressed me. So that was something I enjoyed about this episode. Anything yeah. else that you were a big fan of, Joanna? Well, I think in that scene, um, Evan Rachel Wood's reaction also, you know, like her sort of having this sinking reaction <laughs> to him. Yeah, she's so disappointed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, she is the MVP of this whole series so far. You know, all that stuff that she has with Bernard uh, and this episode with, like, trying to fire the gun and being unable to and kind of the realization of what that means and then later on actually being able to fire the gun – uh, all that stuff. Yeah, when he when he tells her at one point, when Bernard tells her at one point uh, to switch into analysis mode. Yeah, and, and Evan Rachel would like basically crosses her eyes, like like it's. I mean, that's 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 just stupid facial tics, but but it really adds up to very convincing, uh, robotic, humane performance from her. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a great moment in this episode when, well, uh, you, you know, all the stuff with Bernard and and Dolores. I thought was pretty interesting uh, because, you know, uh, Ford's character, this episode, kind of makes really clear uh, the idea that you should not treat hosts like human beings. He, he kind of chews yeah. out his, that guy that's working on it because he covered up his, his modesty and, and cut that host's face open just to prove a point. Then later on, after explaining who Arnold is, he says to Bernard, hey um, – like you must not treat the hosts as humans. Like you must remember they're not actually humans. Uh, and Arnold, I'm sorry, Ford thinks that Bernard is particularly susceptible to this because uh, he just lost a son, right? And in fact, it does seem as though um, Bernard is kind of transferring his love for a child onto Dolores. Would you? Is that the way you interpreted that as well? Could be. Okay. And, well, no, uh, I mean there are direct parallels because he talks about like the books he read with his son, and then he's like reading them with with her, with Dolores as well. well. Also, I so. think I, I think you know Bernard makes the decision, in my opinion, the rather selfish decision to uh, continue trying to develop Dolores's programming, uh, which I, I thought was like a parallel to his son. Like you know, his son's 
uh, development was brutally cut short. And so I think he didn't want to cut short Dolores's development, you know? Yes. Also, (laughs) I mean, this probably belongs in the theory section, but I want to, like, I'm going to keep hitting my Bernard is secretly a host theory, even though, you know, people will say that there's evidence in this episode to the contrary, particularly that scene where he Skypes with uh, the actress Gina Torres. But, um, I don't think so. I'm not yet convinced that Bernard is not a host. And when Ford was talking to Bernard and he was talking about Arnold's triangle sort of of developing consciousness and it was like memory, improvisation and uh, self-interest. And then there was a mystery triangle at the top. And The bicameral mind, I believe, right? Isn't that what was at the top? uh no, no, he said no. The bicameral mind was something different. It was in the same conversation, but gotcha. he said he said they hadn't figured out what the top of the triangle was for developing consciousness mm. in a in one of the hosts. And um I was reading a, an interview with the showrunners of Run Entertainment Weekly and they were talking about that one of the scenes with Dolores and and Bernard when Dolores asks about his son and he says um why did you ask me about that? And they said the reason that that he said that is because he was trying to figure out – she basically improvised there. She she improvised small talk, yeah, right? Yeah, And so he was trying to sort of figure out her process there and like how she figured out how to improvise. But then he mentions being selfish, which is what you just called him. You called him selfish. And I was like, ah, is that the self-interest level of the triangle? Mm-hmm. Um, well, hold on. But before, before you get to that, I just – I do want to mention that that scene – uh, where he asks, you, you know, like, why did you ask me that question? Because he th- he thinks, oh my gosh, did this person just develop consciousness? You know, he's excited. And then when he asks her why, and she explains, oh, personal questions are a way of ingratiating yourself. He right. gets kind of half disappointed, but half yeah. kind of relieved as well. You know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, a, a great moment in the episode. But sorry yeah. to interrupt. Continue. No, it just I. I have a lot of Bernard theories, basically. I find him the most compelling. You know, Jeffrey Wright's a great actor and everything. But I find Bernard and the mystery of Bernard, and we're definitely going to get into more theories later and whether or not I should be obsessed with who Bernard is or if I'm watching the show wrong, uh, preoccupied with that. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, so much to discuss. Uh, you know, on, on the Bernard thing, he has this conversation – uh, with his wife in this scene, in this uh, episode, played by Gina Torres. Uh, and shifting kind of into things I, I wasn't a fan of in this episode, uh, you know, this show, I, I, I experienced a lot of mood swings, a lot of emotional highs and lows with Westworld because there's some things that it does, like all the stuff with uh, the androids when they're in the lab, all that stuff is so amazing. And then it can be remarkably unsubtle at times as well, you know. Um, uh, because you know, I think all that stuff in the lab is very subtle, and then you have things like the scene with Bernard and his wife, which f- feels like the worst of what I feel like a, you know uh, a Nolan film can be, which is just people stating their emotions out loud. Now, obviously, the actors in that scene elevated to being like pretty good, but uh, I don't think the dialogue's doing them any favors. Another scene that's very on the nose in this episode is also the opening scene, I think, where they're reading from Alice in Wonderland, you know, and it's clearly like she's Alice, you know. It just, uh, sometimes the show is beautiful and sublime and sometimes it's just like it's hitting you over the head with its themes. Uh, and I don't like it when it's the latter. What do you think? But oh, I love it when shows hit me over the head. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> the thing I did like about that Alice scene is um, 
And now I finally understand why Evan Rachel Wood's hair is so bad. Um, is because they tried to make her look like Alice. Um, it's not yeah. bad. She just has these annoying curled tendrils right at the front that bother me. Um, I see. You know my issue with wigs from Game of Thrones. <laughs> but yeah, no, they put her in a blue dress and they give her the long blonde curly hair to try to make her look like Alice to a certain degree. They've admitted as much. So, yeah. Johnny Martinez in the chat room, we're broadcasting live as usual, says, uh, can we get to the mystery of Jeffrey Wright's glasses? Every scene he's in, he has them on the bridge of his nose and he's not using them. I agree. It drives me insane as a glasses. Because he's an android and androids don't need glasses. They don't need, he doesn't need glasses. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, you know, another random uh, poor glasses wearer that comes to mind, Matthew McConaughey's character in Amistad. Matthew McConaughey's character in Amistad and Jeffrey Wright in Westworld, these are two examples of really bad glasses wearing. Uh, and I'm just putting that out there. That's my, <laughs> that's my version of Joanna's wig uh, stuff. Yeah. Now I have to go back and look. I remember his glasses being – doesn't he have very small glasses? Yeah, that's it right. Was, you know, colonial times. Okay. That's exactly right, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe he was wearing them correctly and they were just naturally small. <laughs> anyway. Um, <coughs> so – uh, one of the things that happens in this episode is uh, the plotline that Ford is working on is developed further. He involves Teddy's character, uh, Teddy, you know, uh, in, in the new plotline. Uh, and there's kind of this meta commentary about how, hey, before we only gave you this vague sense of dissatisfaction and we never wrote in a storyline for you. Uh, it felt like a very astute commentary on how television – writers can build the stories, right? I mean, just sure. that sometimes you give someone a backstory and you don't fill it in until later. So I thought that was uh, nice and clever. Um, but yeah, the, he goes on this crazy adventure. He has a, uh, uh, a villain now in this character of Wyatt uh, mm -hmm. that he must face off against and, and it becomes kind of this brand new storyline. And of course, at the end of it, uh, James Morrison's character, Teddy, is murdered brutally as usual. Uh, in this is he murdered, or we just see him like sort of overtaken by the group of men? Right? Do we actually see him die? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think we see him die. But what is interesting is he does fire uh, yes bullets at these men and to no it, effect. To no effect. So that means one of two things is true in this new plotline that Ford's developing. Either uh, it's like it involves humans wh for whom the bullets don't affect, uh, or it's actually like a new series of robots that uh, are invincible to the bullets as well. <clears throat> right. And if there are hosts who are invincible to bullets, then does that put the possibility of Ed Harris actually being a host after all back on the table? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. A lo lot of uh, interesting stuff with the Too bullets. Too many mysteries. <laughs> Too many mysteries. Uh, one other thing with the bullets this week that I thought was great was uh, Jimmy Simpson character William. Uh, William gets shot with a bullet and it's, it seems to knock him back, right? Yeah. So we, I, I don't think we've, until this point, I don't think we've seen the impact a host bullet has on a human other than with Ed Harris's character. Is right. that correct? I don't know if that's correct, but but I think you're right that this is the biggest, like the showiest thing, like where we saw the impact mark on his chest, and he's like, "This uh, that hurt." I thought we couldn't get hurt, and it's like, "No, it can sting you, but it's not going to like pierce you." Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. And 
It still doesn't answer our question of like what happens if two guests turn on each other and start stabbing each other in the face. Right. So. Yeah, I, I agree. But what I love about that scene, first, firstly, two things I love about this scene where uh, William kind of saves the prostitute damsel in distress. Number one is uh, like most of the show uh, in Westworld, it's played completely straight and you get a sense of like, wow – I un- I understand like why someone would get into this. You know, I understand like how you could be captivated by this plotline and like want to involve yourself because William has come into this world as someone who's like very skeptical, doesn't want to do anything. We also find out by the way uh what their relationship is. He's William is marrying right. uh, Logan's sister, right? And Logan's company, the family company, which William might work for, it's mm. unclear, are shareholders in the park. Gotcha. In uh, the Dillos company. He was like, we should we should get more stock in this place, is something Logan says at one point. So, mm. yeah. Uh, so, anyway, are you sure that wasn't just an expression? Or, or were they like... Yeah, no, I'm sure. He talks about the family business. He and William are out there, and he talks about the family business, and he's like, we should get more stock in this place. Gotcha. This so, place is great, yeah. So, yeah, we find out like more about the relationship, but you really get a sense of like, wow, because all the adventure stuff, you know, you you could have made a movie just about that as its own, uh, as its own like program. You know, like you could, if if Westworld wasn't a park, I think it would still function as a piece of entertainment. Is what I'm saying, and uh, I like how straight they play everything. You know, uh, in every episode so far, and I really got the sense of like why William would want to be involved, but also the fact that William reacts that way to the bullet. Uh, is great because then you kind of get a sense of like the difference between a newbie and Ed Harris's yeah. character, the Man in Black, who reacted not at all to getting shot, right? So you you kind of get a sense like, oh, this is someone who's been in the party. He's a veteran. He knows how not to react to that. And I, I liked how the show didn't draw attention to that, you know, difference, but was able to illustrate it nonetheless. So uh, really like that part. Uh, uh, yeah, and you, I mean, you also see William sort of getting a taste for it. Like, like at first, he's like, I, I don't even know that I want to be here. But you see him sort of warming up to it, and then he wants to go bounty hunting and all this sort of thing. And it's not like he's become evil because he still has, you know, he's still being noble, but but he's being seduced by the park is something that we see and by, by the plot lines that are offered to him. Something that uh, a few people are mentioning in the chat room is – this idea that um, Anthony Hopkins' character is portrayed a little bit inconsistently across episodes. And I kind of got this sense as well. And I, I, I didn't want to even really bring this up uh, because I, I didn't have like an airtight case about it. But I guess I'll just run it by you for now and see what you thought of it. Um, but yeah, I, I did feel like uh, even in this episode, you know, at times he, he says like wistfully, he's like, you know, the least we can do is is help these uh, hosts forget, you know, like talking to them as though, he's, as though they're human. But then later on, you know, chiding Bernard and saying, like, you must not forget that they're not human and then giving that, that other worker drone a really hard time about it. Um, and someone in the chat room is basically uh, asking, John Perez says, uh, if we already discussed the weird Ford retcon of the only people I respect are my creations to no one had better respect them. Uh, do you feel like the characterization of Ford has been inconsistent in the first few episodes? What do you think? Just like your gut feeling and we can chronicle the evidence later. 
Um, I mean, yes, I would agree with you. I would want to rewatch and see how much of that was in the pilot. Yeah, exactly. And how much is after and if, if Four's character was seriously rewritten after the pilot. Um, I also see him, you know, it's impossible to watch Westworld both the original film and the show and not compare it to Jurassic Park. And when you compare this to Jurassic Park, you have to compare Ford to Hammond from Jurassic Park. And in the book, at least Hammond is this very complicated figure. Cause in the movie, he's this benign grandfather sort of oops, my God complex got out of hand. But in the book, he's got this sinister streak to the God complex as most God pl- complexes should. And I think that's kind of what they're going for is like you, you meet him at first, Dr. Ford, and he's this brilliant man. And he like, like, to hang out with these creaky old androids and that's kind of sweet or whatever but then he's just got this nasty streak to him that I think we shouldn't underestimate and so I think that's what I said last week is like don't sleep on Anthony Hopkins like I think uh, that's what they're going for but I rather than like a nasty undercurrent and a, a gentle exterior we're getting, as you say, sort of inconsistencies. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, like if you think about Gus, Gus Fring from Breaking Bad, right? Like he's got this very like gentle demeanor when you first meet him and then you find out that he's like so scary. And I think that's sort of what we, uh, spoiler alert for Breaking Bad, but I, you know, I feel like that's sort of what we should be getting from Dr. Ford in theory. Uh, but I agree with you that it hasn't been, um, smoothly executed, and I don't think we can can quite fault Anthony Hopkins for that, right? Because yeah, yeah, it feels he's Anthony like, Hopkins. Yeah, it feels <laughs> like uh, it feels like a writing. Yeah, it feels like a script performance. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, there there are tons of theories we got to talk about today. Um, yeah, yeah. But but uh, I just want to mention a couple other quick things before we get to the theories. Uh, one is uh, Shannon Woodward's character Elsie and Luke Hemsworth character. Uh, Ash, uh, Stubbs, they go hunting for the stray, right? And they find him at the end, and it's a very scary scene. But uh, in terms of Stubbs and Hughes, Elsie Hughes, when are these guys just going to fuck already? That's my question. You know, like, you can cut the sexual tension ah. with a knife. I'm shipping Stubbs and Hughes. What about you? Um, <laughs> I thought Elsie preferred ladies, but maybe she prefers both. So who knows? You know, sure. Why not? <laughs> I, it's true. It's true. I, I, I think there is um, there's just obviously, uh, you know, no, they've got that. Yeah, the squabbling road movie sort of exactly thing going exactly. on. Sure, um, but you're right. Maybe well, maybe she was. You know, maybe Elsie was just using the um, uh, uh, the host as a way of exploring some of her, uh, you know, deeper desires that had never surfaced before. Could uh, be, but Could we don't be. know. We'll find. We'll find out. I, I presume. Uh, I mean, there you know, there's mystery upon mystery upon mystery with this whole like hunting down the stray thing, like the constellation stuff. I mean, this all feels like very losty to me, but like the constellation stuff and the carved figurines and all that sort of thing. But I, I guess the most important thing we learned, and I think it was a longtime listener Pat Spinagle who pointed this out, is that the CPU for the androids are in their heads. That's what like Luke Helmsworth Stubbs uh, is trying to cut off that guy's head to bring it back because that's what they need to examine to figure out what went wrong. And this guy seemed the, the haywire, the haywire stray seems to have something programmed into him to self-destruct rather than let them examine because he goes right for his own head. Mm. Right. So they wanted the head so that they could examine it and figure out what went wrong. And this guy bashed his own head with a boulder. And I don't think that's coincidence. So, Mm. 
Joanna, there are probably 15 things we need to talk about. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're not going to get to them all. No, we're, just, we're, we're not going to get to everything right now. So, yeah. um, all right. Let's, let me give you a choice of things to talk about, and you choose. How about that, okay? So we <sighs> can talk like, about – It's like what loop am I going to be on in Westworld right yeah, now? Yeah, we can talk about Arnold theories – we can talk about the like William theories, like what happens to that last scene, like whether he's really the man in black. Um, what else? What else even happened? That's what, like what does the Orion mean? Um, I say we skip Orion for right now because yeah, I don't I have don't, any good answers. There's not. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk about Bernard theories? And, oh yeah, and Bernard not- theories. Yeah, that's that's the other one. okay. I, I sense you want to go into the Bernard theories, so. Um, so yeah, I, no, I, I won't go too much into it. I'll just say, you know, the showrunner said in an in an Entertainment Weekly interview, the showrunner said they were asked, "Are we likely to see Arnold in any kind of form?" And they said, "Unlikely." Mm. <laughs> um, but I feel like you can't. And showrunners drop- have never lied before. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like you can't drop a mysterious co-founder into this and show us a picture of him and and not, you know, it's interesting that he's not in the flashback. Like you see the dancing going on and all of that, but you don't see Arnold at all. You just see him in very fuzzily in that photo. Um, I think my theory is that Arnold's Arnold's consciousness has been uploaded into Bernard. And that's why we see Bernard sort of making the same mistakes that Arnold made before. That's my crackpot theory. And well, uh, Hollywood Reporter just published an article, I think, this morning, uh, called Five Theories About the Enigmatic Arnold. Theory one, Arnold is dead. Okay, so Occam's razor. But Ford uh, certainly seems like an unreliable narrator. Definitely. So that, I don't... That story... Was so fishy. <laughs> you could just tell that he was lying. I don't know how. You could just tell he's lying. <laughs> uh, uh, theory two: Arnold is Ford. Um, so maybe they're the same person, like you know, Fight Club style. Oh no, no, that one doesn't really make that. Much I, sense. I don't like that one. Um, Arnold but- is the Man in Black, uh, whereby you know that's why he seems to know everything so well, and he's been going for thirty years, and that's why they're like, hey. That man gets whatever he wants kind of thing. The problem with that is if the man in black is actually Arnold, uh, why would he not know crucial elements about the park? Like why, why would it seem like he's just, just now getting why, to find the maze? You know, Why like, would the photograph look nothing like any younger version of Ed Harris ever would? <laughs> but, I the, but do you really think Jimmy Simpson Ed- looks like a younger version of Ed Harris and you were willing to entertain that theory last week? Uh, yeah, but that was before we found out they were putting like CGI faces on like, you know, after, oh. like if they're going to CGI down Anthony Hopkins, they're going to CGI down Ed Harris. But they're not. They don't want to show us who Arnold is if Arnold is someone we see. Right. Mm. So in that photo, they want to show us someone that doesn't look conceivably like anyone we know, because then we would have cracked the case. Right. Um, I don't think it's the man in black because there's just like no version of reality where ed harris is that person in that photo i looked at it so hard uh yeah that's that's my answer i don't know man i mean like if you've seen talented mr ripley and then the sequel ripley's game you know one is played by matt damon the other one's played by john malkovich oh oh. anything can happen in my opinion after that Doug Ray Scott, or is he someone else in that? Anyway, let's not talk about Ripley movies. Moving on. Okay, a theory four, uh, Arnold is Bernard, which is basically what you said. Yeah. Uh, and theory five, Arnold is Wyatt. This is my favorite theory. Mm. Uh, like that Arnold is like the uh, nemesis 
for Teddy of Wyatt, uh, which might explain why like Wyatt went missing, returned with strange ideas, and he started killing everyone. Right? Like, he's some version of Wyatt. Maybe he actually is Wyatt. Like, who knows? Wyatt's just been hiding out in the park for decades. Who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's uh, very possible. So, Well, the whole Wyatt thing is weird because, like, when Wyatt and his – we presume it's Wyatt. Wyatt and his crazy uh, cannibal – I don't know what they are. People attack. Um, we hear, like, crazy – otherworldly noises like uh either bone tomahawk or the smoke monster from lost or a t-rex like that's what those things sounded like to me so yeah i don't know uh all right so before we move on to other theories just want to mention uh that like a random trivia fact uh earlier in this episode i talked about uh, grand theft auto you know which has sold over 200 million units worldwide as kind of like uh, in some ways, I would say, like, kind of an inspiration for a show like this, or in, in, or at least thematically share similar territory in terms of like exploring what you would do if you had the ability to live in this like crazy world where uh, there were no consequences to any of your actions. Anyway, the character of uh, Stephen Ogg, Stephen Ogg the actor, plays Rebus in the show. Stephen Ogg the actor also plays one of the main characters in Grand Theft Auto. Anyway, just thought that was a fun little. Tidbit. He's he's one of the main characters named Trevor. Very memorable. Uh, but yeah, in in, uh, in Westworld, Rebus is uh, the guy that freaks out with the milk and is asking about Arnold. Um, oh. he, he's the naked uh, android that uh, they're interviewing. You know, after that whole crisis <laughs> happened. Um, anyway, back into theories. A uh, lot of questions about uh, what, like, where Westworld actually is physically. And uh, on the one hand, you have, um, I think Anthony Hopkins said, like, the evolution of life on this planet at some point in this episode, so indicating that they might be on Earth. Some people were speculating that, like, hey, Bernard's call to his wife and saying, like, oh, it's really hard to get a a phone line here uh, seems to indicate that maybe there's some place where it's very difficult to call someone, like Mars. Um, uh, but in, I just in, don't see how that's like a satisfying twist that they're on another planet. Yeah, not like to mention it, like yeah. like if it's revealed that they're on another planet, are you gonna go whoa? Yeah, like, that changes like, everything about how I understand the show. <laughs> you know, I don't think it does. It yeah. doesn't. Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, uh, but also, you know, the showrunners in an interview with uh, Entertainment Weekly mentioned yeah. that uh, the reason that's difficult to get a line is they don't let people bring in cell phones into the park, like. Uh, they don't want people recording other people's misdeeds or stealing their intellectual property. So uh, that's why it's difficult to get a line, not because they're on Mars. But in that, yeah, but in that same interview, Jonah Nolan did say, by the end of the season, you should be able to figure out where Westworld is. Mm-hmm. And then his wife and fellow showrunner disagreed with him. Yeah, so that'll be, so, fun. That'll be fun. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, all right. And... Uh, so I think we got to talk about the man in black theory from last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so last week we talked about how Jimmy Simpson's character, William might be the man in black and maybe it's taking place like 30 years ago. And that was the big catastrophe that happened 30 years ago. This week seemed to throw a huge monkey wrench into that theory because in the reality of the show, we see Dolores, uh, you know, grab a gun from this hay, like the hay, shoot, 
I think it's Rebus she shoots, but one of one of the bad guys. Uh run away and then fall into uh William's arms. Mm-hmm. So that would seem to indicate that uh you know that we're, we're in everything is happening in present day in in the show. Yeah. The only reason that might not be true is because a lot of crazy shit was happening with Dolores's vision, right? Yeah. Uh like she was seeing her her dead dad but also played by, you know, Abernathy, like Abernathy, you know, right. played by both actors. And then she saw a vision of herself getting shot. But right. then when she looked down again, she wasn't shot. Yeah. So maybe it's like a vision from a different time period and maybe the show is jumping between times. I thought my interpretation of that whole thing. Of her seeing Ed Harris and then Rebus in the barn, of her thinking she was shot and then not being shot, of her seeing the two actors play her father, um, was Dolores remembering all the times that this storyline has ended with like everyone she loves being dead and her being raped or killed. Like her remembering um, other times. And what we saw in the present storyline was the new actor playing her father, Rebus in the barn and her not getting shot, her running away. Um, other people think uh, that this scene means that the viewer is jumping back and forth in time. Yeah. And so then maybe when we see her and it's a cut scene too, like she runs out of frame and then something else happens and then she wanders into William and Logan's camp. So, um, and I, 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 because a friend of the show, Matt Patches, entertainment editor at Thrillist, like really got on me about how he still thinks the 30 years ago theory is in play. I don't, but he, um, you think this week kills it definitively. Well, well, he like questioned me enough that I went back and looked and looked and looked. And I was looking for like blood spatter on Evan Rachel Wood in the one scene that might be consistent with another scene, but she's not. She's clean. There's no marks. There's no I can't I can't conclusively track it. So if you want to keep that theory alive, folks, you can keep that theory alive. But I I I think it's dead. Um, but yeah, if you want to, if you want to say that that scene it's where- as dead as Rachel Evan Rachel Wood at the end of every single narrative loop. Probably James Marsden. <laughs> That's dead what as James I mean. Marsden James, James yeah. Marsden. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. Dead de- as Teddy. Yeah. yeah. Dead as so. Teddy. That's right. Um, here's a question I had for you. Uh, when she's in the barn, she's about to get raped. She has a flashback to uh, Man in Black going after yeah. her, uh, and then she reaches for a gun, and this time she can fire it. So she's able to overcome her programming and fire it. Yeah. Uh, where did that gum come from? Did it come from Rebus or was it already yeah, there? Yeah, it did because you see him reach for his empty gun belt. I see. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so she see. pulled it off of him when he was pulling her into the barn. I at first thought it was the gun that like disappeared from her room earlier. Yeah, yeah. Like that, it was the like, gun that this voice told her right, to find, right? That right. presumably we assume can be used against guests. But who knows where that gun is? <laughs> yes. But yeah, the, I mean the establishing shot of him reaching for his empty holster on his hip Makes me feel like you're supposed to th- believe that that's the gun that she pulled off of him. So, obviously, there's a lot of other things that happened this episode. Um, I, I kind of want to dive into like general thoughts on these theories with you, Joanna. But um, I want to mention one thing, and if you have anything else you want to mention, let's let's get into that. The, the one okay. thing I just want to mention is Maeve. We see a little bit more of her this episode. Um, she is still having the flashbacks, right? Uh, and so, just that like. Things are continuing to devolve all around the park at this point. Um, but, yeah, we see her kind of 
have flashbacks and um, it's very unpleasant for her and uh, I think that will escalate further. Uh, anything else in terms of theories you want to talk about? Specific theories? I don't think so. All right. All right. Um, well, I think the question I wanted to – I mean we probably missed some stuff. The question I want to ask you is uh, – you, you know, friend of the show, Miles McNutt, brought up this morning how he uh, didn't like – how much theorizing was going on around the show. Like, because uh, that's not what he enjoys the show for. And he thinks, you know, it's, it's at a scale that's not commensurate with the show. Uh, the counter example to that is, I feel like the show has introduced a crap ton of mysteries. You know, there's all these voices going on in Dolores's head. What is this a Ryan thing? Why did that guy cave in his own head? Who are oh, yeah, the people the like show, Teddy? Like, there's, the there's so show many is mysteries. leaning into it so hard. The show Arnold, really wants us to like be theorizing. Who's, I who's Arnold? Why why are Bernard's conversations so stilted? Is it just clunky writing, or is it because he's actually an android? You know, like all this stuff going on uh, that that are questions that the show is asking. Um, so. Uh, so naturally, a lot of people have a ton of theories about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but it does feel to me as though uh, the show's setting up more things than it can – it's biting off more than it can chew. Yeah. And the last time I remember something like this happening in a big way, other than Lost, of course, was um, True Detective Season 1 where people had just constructed all these elaborate things yeah. of like the Yellow King and what was going on with that cult and everything. And then – the season finale, like, I, I just knew people were heading for huge disappointment when that season finale aired. And in fact, a lot of people were let down by it. I thought it was perfectly satisfying and revealed that True Detective is what, we, uh, what I thought it was all the whole time, which is just basically like a very skillful genre exercise as yeah. opposed to like something transcendent. I feel like people are heading you know, yeah. this way – Setting themselves up They're setting for themselves up for, for disappointment. Like, yeah. if it's not revealed that Westworld is on Mars, people are going to be pissed at the end of yeah. the season. Um, so I guess a good way to start this conversation is what, what is your primary pleasure from the show right now? Like, what do you get the most enjoyment out of when you're watching the show? Do you find that it's commentary on game design or AI or, you know, uh, the carnal na- human nature – like, is that interesting to you, or is it the theorizing and thinking, like, what could be, and, like, what might how, what might this add up to be? Like, where do you get your pleasure from watching the show? Uh, well, this is going to sound so dumb and pandering, but, like, honestly, once we started doing this podcast, I started enjoying the show so much more. So I think it's a discussion aspect. Um, thinking about what we can talk about really, really intrigues me. When I was watching this this show, I mean – this is going to sound so stupid, but as a critic, when you get the show in advance, four episodes in advance, you watch on your own timeline by yourself. And it's kind of like this weird lonely experience, I find, because I prefer to watch television in a way that I can talk about it with you and with all of our listeners. Like that that really interests me, obviously. That's why I do this. Um, for someone like Miles, who watched the first four episodes, you know, it, you know, by himself as a critic, you know, it, it, like he prefers it that way. He apparently prefers to have his own internal dialogue with the show, just him and the show. Theorizing is a real, really communal way to watch the show. Uh, you, you know that I get irritated by over theorizing, as evidenced by some of my behavior during Game of Thrones season. I get irritated, but but a lot of times it's for the reason you mentioned. Like I've seen so many fans 
get too excited or not too excited. Like, you know, you can, you can get as excited as you want, but excited about a theory and then disappointed when the show doesn't deliver the, the wild theory that like some very brilliant inventive person on Reddit came up with, you know? And, um, the thing is like Jonathan and Lisa Nolan, Lisa Joy Nolan. Yeah. Are not, Redditors in that they don't have like the infinite time the Redditors do to construct these elaborate things. I guess they do at times. Anyway, let me, let me rewind that. Um, I just want to say, I agree with you. I think as long as you can theorize and have fun while recognizing that your theory is divorced from the likely ultimate outcome and the likely ultimate outcome is probably going to be a little bit more tame and tepid than what you had concocted. Um, it's fine, but I, I watched friend of the show, Dustin Rolls of Pajiba.com, like whip himself up into a frenzy about True Detective season one. And then I watched the finale with him and he got so mad. And I was like, no, I I was perfectly satisfied <laughs> with the season finale of True Detective. And he was just like, it didn't match what he thought right. was coming. That, that is the big danger. Here's another thing that I feel like uh, this theorizing hurts, right? Uh, so... Um, a lot of people in the chat room right now are saying, like, I really don't get – Dustin Brown says, I really don't get theory shaming, if I can use an overdramatic way of saying it. Matal Grant says, critics saying, stop worrying about the mysteries, seem to be unaware that this is a bad robot show. I think, you know, there's one way uh, of this going badly is, like you said, people, you know, getting whipped up into a lather about, like, what's going to happen and then getting disappointed and that affecting sentiment on the show, like, uh, towards the show. Like, you think of right. the show as worse – because you did all this crazy theorizing. Like, like if you hadn't done the crazy theorizing, if you just watched the show in isolation, binged it or whatever, like, you would have enjoyed the show more. And that sucks. So that's just like a sucky experience, and I, I hope people don't have it. So that's one thing. But here's another thing that was pointed out this morning on Twitter by Miles and a few other people, is that I think the theorizing hurts the appreciation of the craft of the show. Uh. Uh, in the sense that, like, like there is a skill to revealing mysteries, to peeling back the onion, like layer by layer, uh, and sh- some shows do it well, and some shows do it poorly. And the theorizing, like, like if it becomes too rampant, just kind of walks all over that, and no one even gives a shit about that anymore. And uh, and so I think that can hurt the appreciation of the show as well. So. I guess so. I mean, I feel like that's not from you, but perhaps from Miles, like a kind of snobby way of putting it because it's like you're – No, that's me. You're, that's you're me. Enjoy- I'm, putting it, I'm putting it that way. Okay. But like <laughs> – I mean, this this was my main concern when the when this show started is that I think the classic Nolan twist only sometimes mostly works in a feature film length. Right. To stretch it out over one season, six seasons, with people nitpicking at it every week, like us, uh, I'm worried about it. I also get worried about – I was thinking about that today. I was thinking about Stranger Things. Like, I feel like people wouldn't have enjoyed Stranger Things if it had played out on a week-by-week basis and been subjected to the – Crazy theorizing. Totally. You know, like, that, like that sh- what is the upside? Like, right. maybe the upside down is like the seventh layer is, of hell or something. You know, like maybe it's Mars. You know, like, yeah. but with the, with the binge model and people watching at different times, you didn't have like you couldn't have that. Like that that it erased that. And the other sort of example I would give of, of this gone awry is I actually think Mr. Robot. Sam Esmail of Mr. Robot got so enamored of the 
theorizing culture that that came up around the show in season one that he dug too deep in it in season two. I think season one of Mr. Robot is kind of flawed, and I think season two is deeply flawed, and I really think that's because Ismail like uh, eschewed um, good faith with the audience in favor of a mystery that he wanted them to chase, and or or a mind blowing reveal. And, you know, that that's presumptive of me to say that he was reacting to the way people reacted to season one. But I'm, I'm going to stand by it. I really think his season two was him trying to give us more of what he thought we liked about season one. And yeah, but, but I think yeah, I think what you're saying is that it's very possible uh, for showrunners to be impacted by how people are interpreting and theorizing their show. Right. right. Yet another way theorizing can hurt people so basically uh yeah i, I mean but, I, but i'm not here to, like i don't really want to theorize shame like i don't want to tell people how to watch a show yeah unless, yeah exactly unless your theory is that sansa's pregnant in which case you should feel bad about yourself but other than that like all you know watch a show that was a joke um yeah. watch a show watch a show however you want um and i and i think westworld like lost before it it really is courting um, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing is, it's really like you said, leaning into it. Because it, it'd be one thing if it was just kind of drawing out these mysteries, like over the course of many, many episodes. Like maybe not introducing Arnold till episode like eight or something. But right. it's really just hitting you, you know, hard and heavy, uh, hot and heavy with these mysteries, like on a week by week basis. So I, I really can't blame people for theorizing about it. But I do think that like. And we're doing it too. So, yeah, and we're know. doing it too. And we enjoy doing it, but I think uh, Joanna put it really well, which is basically like, be careful what you theorize for because, you know, in the end, it, it might not end up being like what you're hoping for. Uh, and that might lead you to be more disappointed than you'd otherwise be. So. I just feel like I feel like Cassandra all the time with the show. Like I really do like it, but I just see this fiery crash coming. Yeah, and, yeah, and, it, it's possible. You know. That's what's exciting. That's what's exciting is it could be a disaster by the end of the season, yeah. and uh, you know that's what we're going to be chronicling here on Decoding Westworld. One other thing I just want to say about that point though is that even without the theorizing, like I still find the show pretty interesting exploration of like AI and what our obligations are. Uh, when it comes to creating, yeah, you know, sentient creatures. Like when you create a sentient creature and force it to suffer, like, it, it, you know, do you have uh, any ethical requirements for that? Like, is is it okay just because they're not human? Uh, if if a machine feels pain, does that mean the pain is invalid? You know, because it's not human. Like, what uh, what does that mean? Uh, and I think the show has a ton of these crazy theories going on on the side, but that, like, ultimately, for me, that's the most interesting element, is um, what are humanity's obligations in the face of uh, creating things, creating net new creatures that can suffer, basically, um, but that can also entertain us and make our lives easier. So uh, even if there was no Arnold, if there was no, you know, whatever the hell, uh, <laughs> if there was no William Man in Black theory, I would still dig the show for that reason alone. So, can, can I say one more thing about theorizing culture, which I found really hilarious in 2016? Because um, I, I think you and I have witnessed the rise of it. Like, I don't remember it. 
Well, no, I mean, yeah, I remember lost, it. Right? a lost. lost yeah, lost I was about theory, to say. Yeah. I, I used to get on the phone every week with a friend of mine, and we would just like chase our tails with Lost Theories every single week. Like, it was so fun. I loved it. Uh, I guess I just see it more intensified because of like Twitter and Reddit and all these other things are getting, people are getting more involved because of social media. Um, my favorite example of this this year was The People versus O.J. Simpson, which is based on history. But it didn't stop people from, like, trying to re-prosecute the O.J. Simpson murder and, like – or the, you know, the murder of Nicole Brownson and Ron Goldman. Like, and the fact that, like, oh, they found a new glove somewhere. Oh, my God. Is this – what is this? Blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, oh, it's a random glove that has nothing to do with anything. Like, it was – like, it was still applied to a show that was about something that really happened. You still saw theory, culture, like – at work at it i thought that was really fascinating so yeah yeah i, I mean you know uh, th- that crime is still unsolved joanna so like i, I believe right. oj simpson is still trying to find the killer so right 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 right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so you know i don't blame people for, for right, theorizing right, right. about it <laughs> right right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, send in your theories to decodingwestworld yeah, at gmail dot com. Find more of our episodes at decodingwestworld.com. Solid episode, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure there will be more theories to discuss next week. Who the hell is Arnold? What's Wait. going on with Wyatt? Yep. Anything else? Hey, Go ahead. Here's my most burning question. So we know why this episode was called The Stray. We know why the first one was called The Original. Why was the second one called Chestnut? Why was the first one called The Original? Is that the Evan Rachel that's, Wood character? Right. Yeah, that's Dolores is the original. She's the we oldest. Know who the, yeah. We know who the stray was in this episode, obviously, but like, who is the chestnut? Is it, is that Maeve? Like, I don't know. Like, what, what is, what is chestnut in episode two? If you know. Uh, Okay. Okay. Well, what, you know, (laughs) what, what what do we usually use chestnut like to define? Three, four things. Okay. Like, okay. Like a horse, a horse. Are, are described as chestnut colored, right? Hair is chestnut colored. Uh, that old chestnut, that's like an old, like an old story, right? An old chestnut. And yep. then ch- chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Those are my four associations with chestnuts. I, that's only, did you just name four or is that three? That's four. Well, horses and hair. I consider those oh, two. Oh, horses and hair are different ones. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, okay. So, uh, okay, what is the meaning of the phrase "that old chestnut"? Like, that's like like an old like an old story, an old a chestnut. Maybe, uh, maybe William is the Man in Black from thirty years ago, and it's like <laughs> the old story of how he became the Man in Black. That old chestnut. Um, if you guys know, let I'm us. Str- <laughs> I'm struggling here. I'm struggling. I'm really. I'm twisting in the wind here. So, yeah. All right. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Jenna Robinson, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me theorizing about Bernard over on VanityFair.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Find me at DaveChen.me, and uh, watch my film, The Primary Instinct, on Hulu and at ThePrimaryInstinct.com. Thanks for listening to Decoding Westworld at DecodingWestworld.com. We'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.